بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من قول والعمل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير يا وهاب يا وهاب يا وهاب يا فتاح يا فتاح يا فتاح يا جبار يا جبار يا جبار قال الله سبحانه وتعالى بعد ان اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا ايها الناس تقوا ربكم ان زلزله ساعه شيء عظيم صدق الله العظيم beloved brothers and sisters uh, dear listeners assalamu alaykum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh alhamdulillah we're blessed that in the month of dhul qa'dah uh, we are, uh, whether we are going for Hajj or like the many thousands and uh, across the globe who are not able to go, at least we have the opportunity of studying Surah Al Hajj in the Ayyam Dil Hajj. These are the Ashur Al Hajj, rather, the months of, the, of, of Hajj. People would uh, depart in Ramadan uh, from their various respective cities and countries and travel for months or weeks on end till they would arrive in the blessed lands. So I th- we thought it would be most appropriate in these um, days and months to be covering Surah Al-Hajj, <clears throat> hoping that Allah Azza wa Jal through uh, all of our sincerity and dua one day will also allow us to visit His house. Amin Abul Alamin. So uh, we, we've covered, alhamdulillah, last week we completed Surah Al-Mu'minun, which is the surah after this. And we've covered the surah prior to this, Surah Al-Anbiya. So we've covered the surah before and after, and we have now the surah in between, uh, Surah Al-Hajj. Um, and this surah is uh, a, a surah that is, yes, it's called Surah Al-Hajj Because of course a chunk of this, in, in the between of it, it covers about Hajj But there are so many other beautiful concepts that are covered in this surah as well And inshallah, hopefully we'll get a chance to um, cover as much, you know, go through these The opening lines of this surah is something which I really love And I'm um, amazed at just the beauty of the Qur'an and how, um, you know, how descriptive the Qur'an is on various things. So let's inshallah um, begin as they are making some effort here to set up the live stream. Inshallah that will uh, happen at its time and we can inshallah begin. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم إن زلزلة الساعة شيء عظيم يوم ترونها تذهل كل مرضعة عما أرضعت وتضع كل ذات حمل حملها وترى الناس سكارا وما هم بسكارا ولكن عذاب الله شديد ومن الناس من يجادل في الله بغير علم ولا هدى ولا كتاب منير الله عز وجل in these verses first he begins with uh, a, a call to humanity يا أيها الناس and so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to speak to everyone um, when Allah azza wa jal wants to speak to everyone what is he going to speak to? he's going to speak to them about things that, that are relevant to them so for people, the relevant aspect for humankind is to first become a Muslim, first accept, first submit to Allah Azza wa Jal. So that's what is spoken, well, that is what's mentioned over here. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking regarding specific injunctions like worship, 
prayer, fasting, etc. Then in those cases, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, Ya amanu, O people who believe. But here, since the topic is very basic, that everyone has to first become people of faith, people of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and taqwa, that's why Allah Azawajal addresses Ya nas, O people, O all humankind. Because all humankind is being invited towards belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and understanding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and things of that sort. Urbudu Rabbakum, worship your Lord. And what is the meaning of ibadah? And what is the meaning of Rabb Urbudu? When a person submits himself like an abada, an abid, an abd, one is the meaning of worshiping. One is the meaning, one is abid, is the worshiper, and abd is a servant and slave. So both things are intended here. That a person worships Allah, and naturally if you're worshiping Him, for sure then you would at the very least be regarded as a slave of Him. Worship is a big thing. Sometimes people think that, I want to worship Him, but I don't like to be called a slave. <laughs> right? Worship, if you're going to worship Him, 100% you, be better, you are definitely, uh, worship is something beyond that. Slavery, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being a slave is something or like for example in this dunya there's slavery there's still modern day slavery tons of it happening all over the world in this country in every country slavery to various types of isms and various types of markets and various types of of, of corporations but you wouldn't say a person is worshipping them it's a slave but it's not worshipping them worship comes in second degree the person becomes a slave and then after that says, you know what, not only I am indebted or I'm enslaved to this individual, I'll do the biggest thing which is I'll put my head down. The most akram, the most ashraf, the most honorable part of the body, the forehead, I'll place this in front of, uh, place this in front of the human being. Or rather, astaghfirullah, place this in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> so this is what ibadah. And when a person does ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, he's re- recognizing the fact that he is the most humble and Allah Azza is the most sublime. Ya nas antumul fuqara, o ilallah, O people, you are all in need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah al ghaniyul hamid, and Allah is free of all want, worthy of all praise. Rabbakum, O humankind, be ever God fearing, conscious of your Lord. So, ittaqu. This here is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking about taqwa in this specific ayah. Allah speaks about ibadah in many, many other verses. So, it taqwa somehow linguistically means to protect yourself from something, to protect yourself from something. You're protecting yourself from the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, very nice one explanation some ulama have given is that taqwa here is that a person is protecting himself from the sifatul chalal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very nice. You seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the sifatul, in the sifatul jamal, from the sifatul jalal. You take, seek protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sifatul jalal, sifatul kamal from sifatul jamal. Meaning, you seek refuge in Allah's sifa of rahmah from Allah's sifa of adab. From Allah sifa of niqbah. You seek protection, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sifa of attribution, attribute of kindness, care, love, and benevolence, etc. From the attributes of wanting a willingness to punish, willingness to 
give retribution and punish those who are in need of who are worthy of punishment etc that those are sifat as well of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al-aziz al-muntaqim etc so when a person is seeking refuge uh, from Allah which sifat we're speaking about we're speaking about from the sifat of uh, jalal those sifat that have the sense of uh, power and strength like qahar jabbar etc so put a attribute between you put put a put a barrier between yourself and the sifat of anger and sifat of power put a barrier this is what ittaqu rabbakum is referring to and the rabb himself this attribute is of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continuously constantly giving something based on what you need right whatever you need allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving that so if a person is a young person he needs a a small slipper small shoe as he grows older and needs a larger shoe a lar- larger slipper as he grows older even another size bigger this is what tarbiyah is from what you eat to your dressing to your shoe size to your cap size to your uh, amount of time you, you, the stamina you have and the needs you have for education all of those things are made adjusted to as we grow tarbiyah is that we are getting what we need as we grow and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the murabbi and Allah Azza wa Jal gives us whatever we are requiring at any given time. So those needs are not only physical but also spiritual needs. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rububiyyah. Yani he loves you, he cares for you. That's why he's your Rabb. And that's why he's asking you to Please care for yourself. Don't force him to, if I can say in these words, to punish you. He doesn't like punishing you. He's your Rabb. He says, this is what I have to do, but there's the carrot and the stick. If you don't listen, we hope you listen. But if you don't listen, then the stick is available. We'd rather that, that you just listen and just follow the stick, just follow the carrot. So Allah Azza wa Jal's love is, you know, at times the tough love. So He's asking us to be afraid and protect ourselves from his anger because what awaits you is something not good and that's something we need to understand that there is something called tough love Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't hate us Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't want to see us punished He Himself says مَا يَفْعَلُ اللَّهُ بِعَذَابِكُمْ إِن شَكَرْتُمْ وَآمَنْتُمْ What will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do by punishing you? How will Allah benefit Himself if He punishes you? As long as you are grateful and as long as you have iman, there's no reason for you to feel um, the need to get punished. Allah doesn't want to punish you. That's just a problem that you're going after that you think today, nowadays people say, why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, punishing people who sin? He should just be all forgiving, etc. When you see how much a mother does for her child, 
uh, like as a husband or as a father you see that and then yet the children are disrespectful then it really makes you upset that after this mother does so much for her kids there's absolutely no sense of appreciation no sense of uh, thankfulness and gratitude and they don't just keep quiet then instead they are actually very ungrateful and very disrespectful and many other things fitrah of insan unfortunately many times we're just simply ungrateful so imagine if we it makes us angry when we see this imagine Allah azza wa jal we, can, we cannot imagine <coughs> how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does for me and does for you and does for our kids does for our families yet a person has the audacity to say why is Allah punishing people I mean why shouldn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just destroy me and you right now at this very moment what have we done all day today to say we have thanked Allah enough all as we're sitting here breathing how many thousands of breaths a day and how many times we're drinking and eating all the digestive system is working respiratory system is working nervous system is working eyes and ears are working we're communicating in various languages we're multitasking we're doing so many things Anyone, any one thing can mess up yet Allah Azza wa Jal every single day is allowing us to have smooth lives and um, where is the gratitude where is the appreciation so this is very disrespectful if a person says things of this sort that how come Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can punish someone who chooses to deny he exists chooses to not worship him instead Allah himself says multiple places in the Quran وَلَوْ يَأْخَذُ اللَّهُ النَّاسَ بِظُلْمِهِمْ مَا تَرَكَ عَلَىٰ ظَهْرِيَ مِنْ دَابَّةِ or مَا تَرَكَ عَلِيهَ مِنْ دَابَّةِ both ayats if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala were to take people to task for what they have done for the sins that they have committed for the oppression that they have done against themselves then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not allow a single living thing to walk on this earth Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have completely destroyed everything and everyone the fact that you and I are still even breathing is out of the mercy of Allah the fact that a person can criticize Allah deny his existence write a book against Allah write a book to say Allah doesn't exist <laughs> what is this? this is what you call the helm and the patience of Allah that's what that is forbearance of Allah in action otherwise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should have made this person's hand you know he should make him crippled should make him lose his, his ability to write should make him lose his ability to think if you had power like that what would you do? you tell me if you had power and someone were to sit there and write a whole book against you that you don't even exist and would sit there and make fun of you and say I'm going to take you to court and all kinds of other things that nonsense people say today what would you do? the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't do anything this is called hilm this is called patience that's when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said ma ra'aytu ahadan ahlama min Allah o kama qala sallallahu alayhi wa I have never seen anyone more forbearing and more patient than Allah Azza wa Jal. يَدَّعُونَ لَهُ الْوَلَدِ ثُمَّ يُعَافِيهِمْ That they ascribe sons to Allah. They ascribe children to Allah. They say He has partners. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to forgive them or overlook them and grant them a life of ease. Afiyah. <laughs> he gives them afiyah. 
even though these people deny his existence, attack him. And this, or they say he has a son, which is a huge thing. It's a very big offense to Allah, very offensive. Today we live in an era where everyone says, don't offend me, I feel offended, don't judge me, fulan, this thing, that thing. But what about Allah Azawajal? Everyone's got rights, huh? Everyone's got feelings. Everyone has got a right to say whatever they want, feel like whatever they want. And they say, you have to call me by, by what, I, what I want to be called. By if you look like a man, speak like a man, talk like a man, no. We don't care what the world says. I want you to call me an it, you got to call me an it. I want you to call me a cat, you call me a cat. I want you to call me a tree, call me a tree. Call me whatever I want you to. We must obey by that. But what about Allah? What about the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The one who is given everything that you and I see and don't see. Where does He come into this whole picture? That is what we're dealing with today. Is absolute. That's what Allah says, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ افْتَرَى عَلَى اللَّهِ كَذِبًا Who is a bigger... Who is the one who has who is the one who is a greater oppressor than the one who ascribed uh, who is the one who is a greater oppressor than the one who has lied against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in multiple places in the Quran says this is the greatest oppression. So before we think that we're oppressing people and people's rights, let's talk about the one who created all of us. Where does his rights fall into this whole category? Rab, Rab is someone who gives us exactly what we need He takes care of our emotions Takes care of our intellect Takes care of our spiritual needs take care, Takes care of our food All of that is Rab And Taqwa, as we mentioned Is to protect ourselves from his sifat of Jalal Another explanation someone has given of Taqwa Is huwa an yuthkar fala yunsa is that Allah is remembered and not forgiven. I'm oh, sorry, not forgotten. One yushkar fala yukfar. He is appreciated and not uh, denied or not, uh, you know, unappreciated. And number three, one yuta' that he is obeyed, fala yu'sa and not disobeyed. So I repeat, taqwa ulama have said, an yuthkar fala yunsa, that he is remembered and never forgotten. People are appreciative of him and never deny his blessings and that he is obeyed and not disobeyed. Another explanation of taqwa, ask yourselves, when do you protect yourself from something harmful? How? How do you protect yourself from a big hole in the ground? How do you protect yourself from a snake or scorpion? How do you protect yourself from thorns? That is... As long as you have light, you have working eyes, you have a means of seeing what's ahead of you, you can protect yourself. If you do not have the means of seeing what's ahead of you, there's no way you're going to be able to protect yourself from any of these things. So taqwa in essence is that you hold on to those things whereby you can see those things that are harmful and eventually protect yourself from it. Now let's go on to what are those things that you need? You obviously need eyes. But if you are in a pitch, pitch, pitch dark room and you have your eyes and there are snakes in that room, you're not going to see it. There are scorpions in that room, you're not going to see it. Even though your eyes are open, 
You don't have masks over your eyes, but your eyes cannot give you the ability to see what's in that room unless they have an external source of light. That external source of light, the sunlight or the tube light, if it's present, you'll be able to see what's there. Otherwise, the eyes, as beautiful as they are, as advanced as they are, are helpless. When you are in a pitch dark room and you don't have any external source. Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the heart. Allah has given us the mind. Allah has given us the senses. Allah has given us all these beautiful blessings. However, all of these things will be of no use in seeing the big holes and big uh, ditches that are on our path towards Jannah. Will not help us see the major massive snakes and scorpions and lions and predatory animals, metaphorically speaking, obviously, that will harm us and stop us from arriving at Jannah and will push us off the path. These are all obstacles around every one of us. You are not going to be able to see it through your beautiful eyes and your beautiful mind. You won't be able to figure it out unless you have an external source of light. And that external source of light is of course the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The nur of revelation. Allahu nur samawati wal ard. يَهْدِ اللَّهُ لِنُورِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ قَدْ جَاءَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ نُورٌ وَكِتَابٌ مُبِينٌ All of these uh, verses that speak about the nur of Allah which is in the form of Qur'an, which is in the form of Rasulullah sallam, which is in the form of revelation. Without that nur, we will be clueless. And it's something to really seriously think and you can cry, you should cry and I should cry. But to see where mankind has reached so ahead in terms of technology so ahead in terms of advancements of all sorts amazing but the poor human being simply still due to being deprived of Allah's nur cannot see where he's headed if he dies tomorrow or dies today can't his mind doesn't even go to that that what is after this what will happen if if I die why can't he see that because he just simply is deprived doesn't have the nur of iman and without the nur of iman, no matter how advanced our technology will get, no matter what perfect vision we have, we will not be able to see what is ahead. The intelligent person is the one who sees these pitfalls long before he falls into it. If you fall into a 200 foot deep well, there's no point now, because you're already in, it's too late. You have to see before you fall into it. Fir'aun recognized it. He said, "Amantu annahu la ilaha illalladhi amanat bihi banu Israel wa ana min al-Muslimin." I believe in that being, and there's, who's, there's no god besides Him who's worthy of worship. That God which Banu Israel believed in, and I am from amongst those who submit to Allah. I believe in the God of Musa and and, and Ibrahim Ibn Israel. But the answer was, "Alana wa qad min qabl." Now are you choosing to believe in Allah when you had all along been? A disbeliever, meaning he believed after he had fallen into the pit. So that's not smart. We have to see the pit before we fall into it. And Firaun saw it after it was too late. So this is intelligence that we fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala well before we fall into a problem. Then Allah says, In Nazalzalata Saati Shayun Azim. The hour the for the quaking of the earth at the hour of doom is a terrible thing indeed. Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying, I want you to be afraid of, 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 of the punishment that comes upon you if you don't believe in Him. Before it's too late. And what does it too late mean? 
Too late means your death. Too late means your small qiyamah. And too late means the big qiyamah. When any one of us dies, our qiyamah has begun. Then we don't need to worry about yajuj, majuj. We don't need to worry about dajjal. We don't need to be worried about small signs of our and big signs of our and mahdi and all that stuff. That's all for the people who are still alive to worry about. We're gone. So once a person dies, our pretty much judgment begins. So we, that meaning, we know we can talk about this, the day of judgment is coming, fulan is coming, etc, etc. What we don't realize is there's no doubt about it that our death is going to come much more quicker than the day of judgment. Death will be coming much quicker and much more, uh, yani, the, the distance between myself and my death is much less than the distance between us and one of some of these major signs. So we have to ask ourselves, like, you know, don't, let's not speak about the day of judgment as though it's very far-fetched. Very, yeah, not far-fetched, but rather it's very far away. You know, I'll, I'll plan about it. إِنَّهُمْ يَرَوْنَهُ بَعِيدًا Allah says in Surah Ma'adish that indeed they regard it as very far away. They, kuffar, they see the day of judgment as far away. وَنَرَاهُ qariba, And we see it as very near. Don't you think this, the, the sight of Allah is more important? The doctor looks at our blood test and he says, I think you are very close to getting, you know, heart attack. And the guy, as he's finishing up his, uh, uh, you know, half pound burger, he says, and as he's downing it with some Coke and fries, he's, nah, I don't think so. I think I got another 20 years before I need to come see a cardiologist again, right? And the cardiologist is looking at all the reports and he says, it seems like, you're very close to having a heart attack based on what things are looking at your at the scans so who are you going to believe are you going to believe your self assessment then you're a fool or are you going to believe the professional who's looking at you and looking at all the tests imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying the disbelievers say that the day of judgment is very far off and Allah the creator of dunya and akhirah he says qariba. we see it to be actually quite close azifatil azifa Azifa is that thing that comes to you close. Qareeb anewali cheese. That which comes close. Azifa til azifa, the thing that's gonna come close has come close. What are all these amazing ayat speaking about? That we are very close to the day of judgment. Bu'ithtu ana kahatain. I have been sent with the day of judgment like these two fingers, back to back. Just like these two fingers are back to back. Similarly, I, Yani Rasulullah has been sent with, in this dunya. And the day of judgment is going to be right next to me. So this day of judgment that we're speaking about, besides being the big final day of doom and destruction, definitely we should apply it to our death as well. That our death is imminent, around the corner. Whatever is, whatever is coming should be regarded as close. Whatever is coming should be regarded as close. So we should listen to the verses of the Day of Judgment as though it's speaking about our own death. And if death, if the Day of Judgment strikes fear in us, then similarly, my death should strike fear in me. Your death should strike fear in you to think what have you and I prepared for that day when we're going to leave this world, which might be any day, anywhere. So Allah Azza wa now is speaking about the hour of doom, the hour in which all of this will fall apart. And He says, "Inna zalzalat al-sa'ati shay'un azim." What is zalzala? What is quaking? It is that extreme convulsion, extreme shaking, which will move everything from its place. For example, 
if you want to shake a peg, you want to take out a peg out of the ground. Let's say you have a tent peg, a peg for a tent. How do you take out a peg? You sit there and you hammer it and you shake it and then you pull it out. In order for it to be pulled out, you have to do extreme shaking in order for you to pull out a nail or a peg from the ground. Similarly, this entire earth, for, it, for everything to fall apart, a massive shake is going to be given to it. So everything can be thrown out. You see the mountains to be firm. You're seeing it right now that they're firm. However, they're going to be floating around the way the clouds are floating around. Allah Azza wa speaks about another place. You'll see the mountains, they will be like cotton wool. You have your, your cotton and you take it and you throw it out into the air here. How it just, you know, the strands of this cotton wool will just slowly float. This is how you will see massive mountain ranges completely floating around. Uh, so this is what's happening to mountains which Allah says, Alam mihada Do you not see that the mountains, watad means peg. Do you not see that we make, we have made the mountains a peg for the earth. That although it's rotating on its axis at such a fast speed, yet we don't feel it. And that is through the mountains that are, that are meant to keep this earth Although rotating on its axis, but yet so still that we can walk around and we can build and construct and do all kinds of amazing things on it. So in order to completely finish this place up, Allah Azza wa is going to remove the pegs. And for those pegs to be removed, it requires a serious, severe convulsion and shaking. We've seen earthquakes, what they do? 30 seconds, 40 seconds of earthquake, 25 seconds. Hundreds and hundreds of years old structures, billions of dollars worth of structures are destroyed instantaneously. Within less than a minute, everything comes crashing down. This is 7.0 on the scale, 8.0 on the scale, 9.0. They're saying even more greater earthquakes are set to happen. And why not? Because that's what Nabi has prophesied. And all of these will continue to happen until the mother of all earthquakes shall take place. And that is at the end. Now, if, if a person, if a if, 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 if wealthier person says, I'm sorry, if, a, if an average person says, oh, alhamdulillah, today I have a lot of money. He earns a certain amount, not too much, it's meager income, hourly pay. And he says, I have a lot of money today, alhamdulillah, I saved up. You can expect a certain amount. Someone who's got a full-time uh, good job with good benefits and six figures, he says, I have a lot of money saved up today. You say, oh, mashallah, it must be a larger amount. Someone who is well known and as an extremely successful millionaire, and he says, I have a lot of money. Then you know that a lot of money of this extremely wealthy person is much, much more than the first person who earns a small menial job day, day to day he earns, and he says, I have a lot of money. When you say I have a lot, it depends upon who is saying this. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and everything in between, and all calamities, and all problems, and all natural disasters, and all death is in his hands. When he says that the earthquake of the hour is a big incident, it's a big quake, you understand that it is gonna be seriously big. It's not just uh, maybe 11.0, 12.0 on the Richter scale. 
No, no, no. When Allah, the creator of all of this, as is big, understand it's something unprecedented. And that's why it's the, it's the last one. Because after that, humanity will never recover. The world will never recover. The, the, not just the world, like the entire cosmos will never recover. Not just the earth. Every single thing will simply fall apart. Allah says, إِذَا رُجَّتِ الْأَرْضُ Right When the earth is severely shaken. <clears throat> Allah says, إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا when the earth is, is fully immersed in a convulsion, in a quaking. So there are many verses that speak about this actual final um, earthquake that shall come. But just focus on the ayah, shay'un azim is a terrible thing, is a big thing. Yomatarunaha, let's see how big is it. How important is it for us to understand? How big is this? Shay'un Azim. <clears throat> Allah says, Yoma Tarunaha. The day you see it, Tadhalu Kullu Murdiyatin, every nursing mother, female, will become utterly diverted from what she is nursing. And every pregnant female shall at once deliver her burden out of terror. sukara, And you will see people as if they are drunken. وَمَاهُمْ بِسُكَارَ Though they are not drunken, then what happened? شديد, but rather the torment from Allah is so very severe. This is the ayah that really hits me. Uh, Allah now continues a description of the Day of Judgment. He says, you want to know what's a Day of Judgment? I'll tell you. It is the day when you all, tarawna is a plural verb. Tarawna, jama' what's this? Mudakkar, hadir. All of you will see. And whoever is living at that time will see. You will see it. What will you see? You have heard me speak about this ayah in other tafsirs as well. Because I think this is one of the most effective ayats, in my opinion, to what hits me in describing the terror of the coming of the Day of Judgment. Of how when everything will start falling apart. You hear, You'll hear, uh, I mean, they're all very, very, very powerful descriptions. But there's just something different about this ayah. It doesn't just talk about, you know, it doesn't just talk about doom and gloom and the sun and the moon crashing into one another, the fire, the oceans being lit on fire, the mountains crashing into one another. It's amazing what the 30th juz of the Quran, what it talks about. A chunk of it, a big chunk of, sort of the 30th juz is about real vivid descriptions of the Day of Judgment. But there's something completely different about this ayah over here. From all the relationships in the world, and the strongest of bonds that exist between any two human beings, we will all agree upon that the bond of a mother and her child is the strongest. A, a child meaning son, daughter, whoever it may be. This bond of a mother with her child is the strongest. And a bond of a child who is young is even stronger. And a bond of a child who is so innocent that is still being nursed is even stronger. And a bond of a mother with her child who she is actively nursing is by far the strongest. All relationships that are based on either love or lust. Love or lust. Nothing can compete with the love 
of a mother and her nursing child. And that's exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to depict in this verse. When a person says, I love you dearly, how much? What will happen when the day of judgment comes? If a person is in a haram relationship, says, I'll do anything for you. Yes, wait till the day of judgment arrives. What will you do? Here Allah says, the strongest relationship that could possibly exist in, amongst the human beings, more stronger than any lustful or love relationship, Allah says, that's a day when you see every nursing female. Now let's look at murdi'ah. The word irda' is to nurse. Now those words that are specific with women, you know that ta in Arabic is used for the female gender. I don't know how the transgenders are going to figure out this Arabic language. It's going to be pretty interesting. Right? SubhanAllah. But it's just the fact that every single thing is unique in the Arabic language. This is fitrah. It's fitrah, man. It's fitrah. Allah, Allah guide the ummah. SubhanAllah. So the fitrah is there that every single verb has a female, word, a female forms and male forms. Nouns similarly. Those nouns that are specific to females. For example, nursing. For example, carrying the baby. For example, uh, uh, the, you know, uh, what you call having their cycles, monthly cycles. All of these things, the Arabs do not use and the linguistically you're not supposed to add ta at the end of it. Because why? It is redundant. Can a man do that? Of course, today everyone will say, yeah, sure, it can be. But you know, those on fitrah will say, no. This cannot be found amongst men, hence you don't use tamarbuta for it. So you'll say hamil, uh, okay? And you'll see murdi' and you'll say ha'ib. All of these words don't have tamarbuta. You understand? They don't have a feminine ta at the end because it is not needed. If you add, like hamil, the one who's carrying, if you're gonna add a tamarbuta, hamila, you know what it means? It means someone who's carrying something on her back. Because like obviously if, if she's carrying in her, in her stomach, then it, in her womb it will be without ta. Because a man doesn't do that. That's just a female. So you say, imra'atun uh, hamil, a lady who's expecting, carrying. Imra'atun hamila, a lady who is hamila, hamila in Urdu is different. In Arabic if you say hamila, it means for example she's carrying a burden, a, you know, a blocks or whatever the case may be on her back. Imra'atun murdi' a lady who is nursing. That's not sufficient. The Quran uses the word ta here, murdi'ah. That's a very good question I'm sure that all of you may be getting. Why does the Quran then you have a ta here when you just said that every word that is specific to women, there is no need to put a ta there. Correct? You understand the question? And so the answer to this very important question, the why in the first place, is a ta added here when it's not needed, it's redundant if, if, if a noun is specific to women. And the answer is that when you, you will add a ta when only when she is actively involved in nursing. If, she is, if her child is in the age of nursing, first two years of life, and the mother is in that stage in when she nurses her child as needed, you're going to call that she is a murdi'. But if she is currently actively nursing the child, then she's going to be called a what? Murdi'ah. Now look at the effectiveness and the power of this verse. That Allah is saying, that's the day when you will see every single actively nursing mother who has her nursing child suckled, suckling and attached to her chest. What is she going to do? Tadhal. Tadhal. Oho. Dhuhul means you just forget. You're so awestruck about what you see. Like a 
person who sees someone that is was after him. Think about it. Someone was, there was a, Allah forbid, there was someone who was after someone. There's an assassin after you or somewhere, an agent after you. A person was running for 20 years away from this. And he comes face to face one day. He sees him right in the hallway. What would happen? Dhuhul, you forget everything. You drop everything. You said, oh my God, you see death in front of you. That's what we're talking about here. Dhuhul is when you see something that is just so shocking, so overwhelming, that whatever you're doing, you drop. And you even forgot that you had that. So it's not that these mothers are going to take the nursing child and they're going to they're gonna do something to it. Say, here, please take, please take care of my baby, huh? please, and I'm running. No, they've got no time to hand over their baby to anyone. They'll leave, their mind will be completely diverted, completely forget that there was any baby. Dump and run, dump and run. Not even hand off and run. Just dump and run. Like it's mentioned that there was, I was reading that, you know, when... when, when um, uh, pilot, he was trying to get, he was, it was nose diving, plane was nose diving, and he was trying to see, okay, there may be some possibility of we're surviving if people have, if, if people have the seatbelts on. And, and, and he's telling, making the announcements, but everyone is screaming, everyone is yelling at the top of their lungs, no one's listening to the pilot. And the stewardess is trying to tell people, please, please, you know, put, put on your seatbelt, there's some sense of safety, maybe if you have it. But no one is willing to listen. Everyone is screaming at the top of their lungs, thinking about what will happen, who they're leaving behind, what's the future going to be, etc. She sees one passenger is very calm, relaxed, and said, Let me go speak to him. Maybe he can knock some sense into the others. And when she goes, runs to him, what does she see? The only reason he's calm is because he's already lost conscious. He's out, he's already lost conscious. He is he cannot speak. That's why he's sitting there quietly. This is what the Quran says. Everyone will be have lost conscious as though they are drunk. Out. Out of absolute fear. So one picture of every mother leaving her child. Number two, you know, <clears throat> you see, you see uh, uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in so about the day of judgment, that's a day when a man will run away from his brother and from his mother and his father and his wife and his children. Every single one of them will be in, a, in their own perplex, uh, you know, uh, uh, fear and perplexed situation where they will have no chance to look at anyone else. What's very interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says a man will run away from his brother. He mentions that first. Before he mentions, what? Mom and dad. Do you think about that? Anyone think about that? Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions brother. Before he mentions mom and dad. Why is that? And so they say that their parents at times, um, they, live, uh, they live, for example, at a time when they are elderly, and when the children are young, meaning they reach in their much older age, and the, and the children are the ones who are much healthier. So they feel at that time that the children, the children feel that we don't need our parents, and rather the parents need us. Right? So there are times in life when the parents feel that they are not the ones who are in need, that the children need, but rather they need the children. However, since the brother is of similar age, that the, the desire 
and the expectations of help from a brother will always be there. So say you're 60 or 50, and now you say, okay, fine, who are my elderly parents can help me out with, bail me out of some debt, or give me a ride on this, or physically help me. But who can help me? My brother. So even as you grow older, your needs, your expectations of help from your brother don't go away. That was, mashallah, very beautiful uh, explanation I came across. And so, hence Allah Azza wa Jal here also mentions this first, that a person will run away even from his brother. So here we go. The next thing Allah says, And that a uh, pregnant female shall at once deliver her burden out of terror. Himl. Uh, Himl is something you carry above you. Hamal is something which you carry in you. Himl is something which you carry on your back. Hamal is something which you carry in your, in your womb. Every single one who's carrying something in their womb will drop it. Basically, will abort the child. And that's well known that sometimes if due to extreme stress, fear, or some type of other factor, external factor, that a uh, miscarriage can happen and does happen. So here you go, every single one will have a miscarriage. That's what this ayah is basically saying. Due to the intensity of what they are witnessing. Now, وَتَرَى النَّاسَ sukara. Can anyone see the difference here? وَتَرَى What happened over here? Yes, very good. Single. Right? The previous one was Tarauna. You all will see. And then Watara became singular. This is what he calls iltifat. It's changing. Your audience changing. All of you to you one person. Why is that? It's because most people will not survive to even see anything now. Subhanallah. Allah says, you'll see, people, you'll see this woman is doing this, this woman is doing that. And guess what? By the time you finish seeing that, you'll also be gone. So most people will not be there to witness the second portion of this ayah. Only the true single few believers who may remain, may see it. That's why a singular form is used. And you, one individual, will see people. Which is majority. Even the guys who were watching the previous ayah manifested, they're gone. You will see the people, sukara, drunken. What do you see about a drunk person? He's, he seems completely out of place. He says what doesn't make sense. He sees what's not there. He has lost all bearing control over his mind. That's exactly what will be happening to the people. They will all be mindlessly walking around, aimlessly walking around. Have they all, what, are they all intoxicated? No, they're not intoxicated. Allah does Himself. He says, it's not what seems to you. If they're not intoxicated, but rather, the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very severe. It's so very severe that the fear of this has made them lose their mind. Right? The fear of them, fear of this has moved their Now, beloved brothers, have they already seen the adab of Allah? Huh? No. We're not even at the day of judgment yet. This is still coming. Just the coming of the hour and just the falling apart of the, the, of the universe is something so scary that they will realize that it's too late. You know when someone you know, misses something, you made a wrong mistake and someone dies, your beloved dies, you made a wrong mistake and you lose a massive amount of money on an investment, 
you made a wrong mistake and something horrible happens to you, how do you just start screaming, lose your mind? People do that. There are people literally who lose their mind when the child dies or the spouse dies because of a wrong maybe uh, mistake they made. I sometimes read articles and I think, how do people survive? You see this very sad state where people, mothers reversing their car out of the garage, run over their own kids. Have you read stuff like that? All right, real things. And I'm just wondering, oh my God, how do you survive after that? The only way you can survive is if you believe in predestiny, in taqdeer. Otherwise, I think it's, you're going to go crazy. So, these people will also be going crazy because they will realize we made a massively huge, 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 huge blunder. That we denied and disbelieved in Allah and His Prophet. And there's no turning back. You can't make a U-turn. It's too late. So of course they're going to act like they're crazy and drunken. That's what it means. They're realizing that if the Day of Judgment has come, that means what our Prophets had warned us is true. There are people yet amongst the humankind. Man yujadilu fillah. Who argue about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who argue about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without any revealed knowledge. And therefore follow every rebellious shaitan. Allah Azza wa Jalla is speaking about after everything I'm telling you and warning you about what's going to happen, yet there are certain individuals who just don't get it. And what do they say? They want to involve themselves in discussions about Allah and the attributes of Allah and the qualities of Allah as though they are equal partners with Him. Where do you see this? You see this at almost every walima. You see this at every party. All of a sudden, you have overnight Islamic philosophers and a'imma, a'imma, huh? just not just Mulana or Sheikh. These are imams. You'd expect them; they probably have two hundred, two, two, two to three million followers that they have developed their madhab so well. Every single person between tea and dessert, he comments about the deen that you just look and say, "Okay, where did you get this?" As Allah Subhanahu wa Taala talks about people, He says. Um, were you a witness? Were you there when I created the heavens and the earth? Right? Were you present? You aren't present, so stop acting like you were there. You have never were there when the world got created. Don't speak about things that you don't know. This is what Allah says. Were you present when I created everything? And the answer is no. Well then how can you be so sure? about whatever conjuncture and, 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 and things you come up and make up and say, Allah said like this and Allah said like that. Man sultan. There's no proof of what you're saying. There's no proof of what you're saying. So we have to learn how to not speak about things that we have no knowledge about. And this is sad that people say, no, Allah must forgive this. Like who, are, who is Allah? He doesn't, he doesn't report to you. I'm sure, I don't know how you got this wrong. You report to Him, not the other way around. He is Khaliq, your makhluk. How, does, how do we think that we can dictate what Allah shall do and what Allah shall not do? I cannot, you cannot. Even the Prophet ﷺ cannot. Even he says, I'm not going to enter Jannah without the mercy of Allah. What about you? He says, no, I'm not going to enter. 
I cannot illa an yatagamadani Allah bi rahmatin min indi wa kama qala sallam I cannot enter paradise unless and until Allah enshrouds me with his mercy So who is there who falsely claims Allah shall do this and Allah shall do that Right um, and people usually they used to use their aql intelligence uh, Allah, Allah is most forgiving Allah is most merciful he'll send everyone to paradise but Kase, who where did you get this from as long as you have good character and you smile nice and wide you go to paradise where did this come from so we have constantly I've been mentioning this point that it's how, how do you feel if your neighbor has a dawah and he invited you over and then you just sit there and text the whole community show up show up put on Facebook next door there's a big open party for all like, wait this is my party I invite you to it who gave you the authority to invite the whole town it's very, it's, it will cause a big problem. Allah Azzawajal is the owner of Jannah. He didn't make you and I the owner of Jannah. They say, hey, I give you an invitation, you call whoever you want. That's what human beings today are doing. They're taking anyone and everyone and saying, throwing them to Jannah. For example, uh, you cannot say, you, you don't pray, it's okay, as long as you're a good Muslim. You cannot say that as long as you have good character, you don't have to read Quran. As long as you're a good character, you'll go to paradise. This, are, this is normal. This is actually, I would think most of the people speak like this today. Most of these people speak like this today. Who said hijab is a choice? That's what I say. Hijab is a choice. Whose choice? You have a choice to go to paradise or hell. That's your choice. But if you want to go to paradise, I'm sorry, it's not going to work with that hijab. I'm not saying this. Who am I? This is what Allah's Quran speaks about. This is what the Prophet ﷺ speaks about. Since when have we come up with this idea that you come to the deen as you wish? You one day you want to wear, whatever you wear, you don't want to wear, it's all up to you. And it's all about, you know, like you go to these stores nowadays, you, you buy, what's yogurt, ice cream, this, that, and you put on your toppings, you make your own little, yeah, you, you make your own frozen yogurt topping. But I don't like M&M's, I like nuts, I don't like gummy bears, I don't like this, I'll do this, I'll do that. Islam, I'm sorry, is not a, you know, a frozen yogurt shop. You go and you add whatever you want, take out whatever you want. This is not a hot dog, Chicago style you want, or some other style you want. You add mayonnaise, you add what, mustard, you want to add lettuce, you want to add pickles, radish. No, my friends. This is one style, only one style, and that is the style of Rasulullah and his sahaba. If, Rasul, if Allah gives you a pass, even though you don't have what it takes, that's His mercy. But you can't go sitting there demanding to get in. Because you decided to make your own thing. That's not how it works. But today's deen, that's what it is. Today's deen, especially on these topics, is about, it's a choice. I don't understand this point. I'm serious. Let me take a moment to speak about this topic. Is dads, moms, husbands, everyone say, there are many issues. I'm just giving example one because I said it. Because I hear this all the time. Say, you know, my daughter's not yet ready for hijab. What if I say my eight-year-old's not ready to wear pants yet? How's that going to work? Should I bring him here? Now he's just not ready. He just loves to be in his undies. He loves to be in his diapers. No option. What do you mean? You have to wear your pants. This is how it is. We're not going to tell our kids to say, no, Berta, you have an option. You will do whatever you want. Or even your daughter. Similarly, hijab, that's part of our identity. It's not something to say, you have a choice there. It's something from the very get-go. Yes, if you didn't give pants to your kid until he's 15 years old, and now you tell him to wear it, He's naturally going to feel he's from the lost tribe in Amazon and doesn't need to wear it. So then you might have a hard time explaining to him that this is where you live, you're in society, you can't be walking around pantless. 
So similarly, if we don't teach our girls from the young age to wear the hijab, when you decided at the age of 18 after you came back from Umrah that, oh, you want to put a hijab, that might be a little bit challenging. But the problem is of the parents. Why did they not bring these issues from the very get-go and create an environment of this at home? So since when is this, I'm not ready yet. You, this I'm not ready yet is an issue as though it is a topping. No, it's not a topping. This is how deen is. And our society can never, should never allow ourselves to think that this is something, a small issue. If someone is sinning, then they're sinning. At least, at least I tell you, acknowledge that I'm sinful and make dua that I repent. Bas, I'm not praying and there's billions or millions of people don't pray. And there's hope for them as long as they don't think of themselves to be sinless. But if a person denies the importance of prayer and says, I don't pray and I don't need to pray, and I don't care about prayer, and I'll do whatever I want, and I'll stick it to paradise in the same row with you. That's called kufr. Denial of prayer is kufr. Denial of any act that is fard is kufr. Denial of a verse of the Qur'an is kufr. You can't change up the deen. A person may neglect every single ayah of the Qur'an and not practice on any of it. But if they regard themselves as sinful, humble servants of Allah, hoping that, that one day that they will change, still there's hope for all of those people. For anyone, even someone who's committed murder but feels guilty about it. However, someone who does a sin but does not repent from it, does not want to repent from it, gets upset if you tell them to repent from it, and doesn't regard it as a sin, then my beloved friends, we're very afraid of what will happen to that individual. Very afraid about the iman of that person. So when it comes to these aspects of haya, aspects of, of hijab, both for men and women, this is not something that we, need to, we can take lightly. This idea of we're not ready and no choice for salah, etc. These type of things. I don't know what people mean when they're not ready. I'm not sure. All I'm saying is as long as you regard this as a sin, inshallah there's one day hope for forgiveness. But if we try to legitimize whatever wrong we do, then that's a problem. And so, in a, in a, in a Muslim, it's in a Muslim uh, uh, environment, let's say we are, uh, what you call, attending a, 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 a gathering of iftar, if I am at the stage right now gathering, thank you all for coming for this iftar gathering at XYZ place, and then Maghrib namaz happens, salah happens, and I walk out and stay outside and you know, um, go through my pack of cigarettes while you all pray, what is it gonna happen? What are you gonna say? Why did you stand at front as a male, speaking here, at an iftar gathering, and right in front of everyone you walk out because you say you don't pray? There are people like that who fast and don't pray. But do you really have to be presiding over a iftar gathering and then leave as everyone is praying? You know, that one day you could have just stayed in the back. Or at least just have prayed with the rest of the people. How about that? Just, just don't be, you know, so aggressively <clears throat> um, arrogant about it. That I'm not going to pray, I refuse to pray, and I don't care who prays what, I'm not going to say with them. Similarly, if there's an Islamic event, genuinely Islamic event, then the expectation should be that a prayer, we don't know what's the heart. We're not talking about the heart. I don't know what's in your heart, you don't know what's in my heart. I could be a hypocrite, you could be a hypocrite. Allahu A'lam. I pray Allah Azza wa Jalla saves us from kufr, hypocrisy, shirk, and riya, and all these horrible things, and grants us, you and I, complete, true, true iman. But you can, you're gonna judge me by my appearance, I'm gonna judge you by your appearance, and this is exactly how it's supposed to be. And that's why it's written in the books of, of, of Aqidah and Fiqh that if someone is, has a cross on his neck and he dies, no matter how, many, how much muttaqi 
and pious, righteous person he is. If he dies, we're going to bury him in the Christian graveyard. We're not going to bury him with the Muslims. Because he died with the cross on his, around his neck. So we're going to judge him based on what meets the eye. Deep down he was a, a Muslim spy or this, that. We don't know. We're going to judge him based on what we see. That's what Umar anhu at one instance said. He says, something along the lines, as something along those lines, that we make decisions based on what meets the eye, and we leave the secrets of the heart to Allah. So that's what we do as humans. When they say, don't judge me, that's all we're, I'm not judging what's inside your heart, I'm judging you based on what meets the eye. The judge of what's inside the heart is Allah. He knows the one who's got real taqwa. Don't claim piety. But when it comes to Muslim and non-Muslim, we have to judge what, what meets the eye. So similarly, Muslim gatherings, if there's a Muslim gathering, someone who is leading it should be praying and when everyone else is praying. Because otherwise it becomes very apparent that this person is doing an, a huge sin. We shouldn't have, that one day at least pray with the rest. Similarly, I would say if, if, if a sister is leading some type of discussion or some type of gathering on MC, etc., if she may not wear hijab, that's between her and Allah Azul outside. But at least at that event, be respectful to the Muslims who are present. Be respectful to the fact that this is an Islamic event. And at least do not expose your satar. Because here it's haram for us to look at that. For it's haram for me. I'm committing haram when I'm looking at someone who has her hair exposed. And she's sitting, standing in front, being an MC for an event, Islamic event, for example, or speaker, etc. So in honoring, what about the thousands of men who are watching? What about the idea that let me in this event at least be mindful and respectful to those who are in the audience? How nice it would be that she wears the scarf at that time and dresses modestly for that event. What she does outside, we don't need to follow her on Instagram. That's your fault if you do. You don't need to go sit there and see what she does. But right now she's right, she's right front and center at the stage speaking. Now at this, at the, the least we can expect is be respectful to this audience. And I promise you, those of you, us who deal with interfaith events, will see exactly within non-Muslims. Non-Muslims will call in advance and say, what is the expected uh, outfit or a uniform or you know, um, dress code? And so many will call masjids and uh, other organizations and say, what are we supposed to wear? They are respectful. They understand, we don't want to offend you. I remember subhanAllah, years ago, one day I went late night to go get some medicine from a Walgreens. Years ago, maybe, you know, like 2004 or 5, something like that. And it was 11 o'clock at night, and this one lady, she was doing the restocking in the Walgreens. And, you know, this is back in Kankakee days. So not that many people like me walking around, not like Lombard, right, here. So she sees me, and she's, she looks at me at 11 o'clock at night, and she's restocking the shelves. And she looks at me and says, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. I'm, I, you know, and I'm like, what happened? I was shocked. I'm like, what happened? You didn't even, like, what's going on? Like, you, you ran out of the stock. I didn't even tell you what I'm looking for. Like, what are you apologizing for? And she's like, no, I'm very sorry that I may have offended you by not wearing a scarf. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Right? I don't know what was, what was she thinking. But she's like, I'm sorry I might have offended you by, by not covering my hair. SubhanAllah. This, this, the, story, the story just came to my mind. But like, may Allah give her hidayah wherever she may be. Right? But the idea is there's some amazing non-Muslims out there really who, who care about Muslims' feeling than Muslims do. This is what I'm saying. When entering a masjid, please follow the etiquette of there. When entering the masjid, there's etiquette of there. Why is it that a person just, you know, like you would not go to a black tie event, a wedding. Look at all our sisters and mothers and everyone else who dresses up like, you know, hours in front of the mirror. And you husbands are horning, honking. Come on, man. And for all those of you who are invited to like 10 weddings this weekend, this is probably going to happen in your homes. You're sitting there waiting outside the garage. Come on, come on. 
You just wore that. Yes, you already dressed up. Yes, no, no. <laughs> You're spending an hour waiting, right? What is it? Because no, man, what are people going to say? This, this is the dress code. You cannot, cannot, cannot go to a shadi the way you're dressed at home. They'd rather like just die than do that. You're never, you're never going to be caught in with home clothes in a wedding. Because why? It's the occasion. You have to dress accordingly. So similarly, what about the dress codes of this miskin yatim Islam? And this miskin yatim orphan masjid? Shouldn't there be a dress code here? Shouldn't there be some expectations that you don't show up just like that? So this is when you have no haya from Allah, this is what happens. There needs to be a simple mindset to say, I cannot dress outside the way I'm in my bedroom. And this is for men and women, subhanAllah, who just walk around the streets, parading around, as though in their pajamas and their tights. And the reason is the haya is just simply missing. There's gotta be haya, haya, haya. Childhood, fourth grade days. I mentioned it in someone, probably in the candlelight conversation in Ramadan. Haya, even non-Muslims, when 94. I remember one lady, one, I mean not lady, one girl in my class. I was in fourth grade. One day she came up to me and probably in recess or whatnot. And she said, uh, she recognized, she just came up to me and she says, I notice you wear pants. <laughs> right? And she said, I wear pants too. We're just little kids, nine-year-olds. But I still remember that scene. Because we're the only ones in the class that wore pants in, in the summer while everyone else was wearing shorts. And it was her own haya and that she was attracted to someone else who had haya. And she came up to me and just simply wanted to connect. Just that. That's all she said. So when people, yani subhanAllah, what I'm trying to say is that people are just losing their haya. That the people initially would, would have haya that they would not walk in front of their father or mother the way they're in their bedroom. They wouldn't walk in front of their sister or brother of the opposite gender the way they're in their bedroom. Because you don't, you, there's what you are with your own, sibling, your own same gender siblings changes when you are with opposite gender siblings. It's supposed to be like that. And it's definitely supposed to be different when you meet your cousins. It's supposed to be definitely separate when you meet your elders. And it's definitely supposed to be different when you step out of the house. You cannot be dressed the way you are in your bedroom. But I see that every day around us in this community and beyond. That it really looks like you just got out of bed and went to drop off your kids at school. And that is seriously not acceptable. Where is the haya? I mean, you can, anyone can do whatever they want. But I'm just saying, that is called, you know, lack of haya. We have to go back to the basics and say, why do I don't have this sense of embarrassment and shame? That I, the way I have an embarrassment and shame showing up to a wedding or to a gathering without dressing appropriately and spending hours on makeup and so forth. Why? That's fine. I'm not saying anything wrong about that. Women only event, women dressing up a frame. Good. But this should be the same expectations we should have, you should have for yourself, I should have for myself. That I can, wearing a t-shirt, for example, is jais for me. It's, it's my satar is covered if I come with a t-shirt. How would I feel without my kurta sitting in a t-shirt speaking to all of you? Shara'an, Islamically, is this allowed? Yes. 100%. But there's something called modesty in haya that would never allow me to do that. Same thing. That haya has to be there, especially when the sharia is broken, when fara'id are neglected, when the laws of hijab, not even hijab, laws of satar, laws of awrah, of what mandatorily must be covered, when that's broken, there has to be a sense of shame. For example, again, I give real, real life examples. Someone wears, someone exempt says, I don't want to wear hijab. Okay, but when guests come to your home, who are for example practicing the deen, 
right? Then we should have the, sh- the haya to put on a scarf. I have seen this in our older generation, but I don't know what's wrong with this generation. They don't have this. The older generation, many of them, they didn't, they didn't follow these rules of... Look at, man, all the aunties, right? They would, when someone... A, 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 a Molana Saab walks in, a bearded person walks in, the hijab comes on. They put on their dupatta. Because it's like, we want to be respectful to you. We don't, we, whatever it is, you came in, a man comes in or a religious figure comes in, there's that haya from a hafiz sahab. There's a haya from a molana sahab. Man, that's gone from our society. And that really hurts that people don't feel at all shame, shame to say, no matter who comes at my door, I'll greet them. I'll offer to take their jacket and offer them you know, drinks and whatnot. And there's just no sense of inhibition. And so this is something really alarming. Who are, you know, and then you're gonna say, who are we to judge? Yes, we will judge a person based on his actions. If I show up here without a shirt, you have full right to judge me. You have full right to say, Kuch hai. you know, something is wrong today. Chinese, what's going on? What's happening? So these things are happening in our society and no one's speaking about it. Husbands, fathers, mothers, daughters, everyone's quiet. How many, mashallah, nicely dressed women they are, mothers, very modestly dressed. And their daughters, unfortunately, right next to them, traveling around the airport, going to gatherings, going to school, whatever, absolutely modestly dressed. What's going on? Where's these conversations? And if you don't, if you have a hard time explaining, come bring them to the masjid. I'm ready to speak. We'll have our female appas ready to speak. We can sit down. We'll get to the bottom of it because there must be some confusion. Let's get to the bottom of it. What exa- where is the confusion lying? Lying in all of this situation. And if someone says, I understand, but I don't want to, okay. At least you got the story. You know, we told you what it is. Don't say you didn't understand. You didn't know. So this is a conversation what will be happening, of course, during this weekend's retreat. We actually decided in this retreat something you probably don't know. But this year's this retreat will have a... I'm sharing with you now, which we decided. On Sunday from Dhuhr to Asr will be a women's only retreat by the female scholars. So we'll have our parallel program here. But the girls, females, moms and daughters will have from Dhuhr till Asr on Sunday... A sisters only, alimas and apas speaking to them on relevant issues to, to women. Whether it's their gender roles, whether it's their hijab, whether it's their modesty, whether it's their marriage, all the issues that are common from influencers to, uh, uh, to fashion trends, all the latest things and issues that our Muslim girls are facing, and Muslim women too at times. Inshallah, they will be addressed in a very nice manner, roundtable discussions, tons of opportunities for question and answer, and I might be also addressing them as well in one of those sessions. So the idea is, please, uh, I implore you all to make sure our women, and uh, the women who are listening to me, make sure your daughters and yourselves are present This uh, uh, for this women-only session that's going to happen, Dhuhr to Asir, more than likely it's not going to be live-streamed. Uh, for the, those women programs. So we want to make sure that if you're here and uh, try in and come, if you can't come anytime in the weekend, at the very least, come on Sunday, sisters. Come on Sunday from Dhuhr uh, to uh, Asr, inshallah. So Allah Azza wa Jal, I mentioned this whole tangent on this ayah here. These are the type of people who argue about Allah without any revealed knowledge. All of this discussion. If this is jais, who said so? This is okay. This is 2023, modern era. You, t- you got to take it easy. These things are not in your hands or my hands or any alim or mufti's hands to say. Because nowadays everything, there are two opinions. Everything, there's two ways to look at it. There's two sides of the coin. So now, then actually there's two sides of the coin. Allah exists and Allah doesn't exist too. That's what it's gone to. Because anything you want to talk, but I just don't want you to leave. Just stay here. 
Just stay here. Anything you want. You want me to say kufr? I'll say kufr. As long as you stay in my audience, as long as you stay connected, you follow me on my page, yeah? I, will, I need your votes. I need you to follow me. I need your, what you might call it, uh, I, need you, I need you to be able to promote my page. So whatever I can do to keep you coming to my gathering, what happened? One institution recently, I spoke to them. They said they didn't have a parda, they didn't have a hijab for their events. Men and women sitting next to you, guys and girls basically. Alhamdulillah, someone gave them some guidance and said, you know, you need to put some period. What is it? What's going on over here? So he said, weekly they used to have 80 guys and girls show up. As soon as they put the barrier, half of them left. And most of them, the boys. What's going on? But you can chill out whatever you want outside. You want to go from here, you want to go to Dairy Queen, do it. That's not our business. But in the masjid, come on. Let's just follow the rules while in the house of Allah. But very clear, you figured out what was going on. They say, you know, that as soon as a barrier came in, half of the crowd left. So, do we have to just get, fill up the masjid? Do we have to just fill up the masjid? No, we don't. You come willingly with the intention of learning. We're not going to come and say that we just will, we want to fill up the masjid at all cost. Someone says, I want to bring in my little puppy, man. I never go, go out anywhere without him. You know, he's, he's, he's my buddy. You're going to allow him? I guess these people will. But we, how can we allow someone with a puppy in the house of Allah? That's what I'm trying to say. We're not judging anyone by we're not saying go to hell. If you, we're not saying anything. We say just, but when you come to the masjid, please follow the etiquette of the masjid. Follow the protocol that's over here. That's all we're saying. Follow the dress code. Follow the, 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 the environment that the masjid is supposed to give. And so that's one of the really important discussions that we're going to have this weekend. And I want all you to be present. That's going to happen Saturday morning. Right? A full detailed discussion on the issue of the very touchy, touchy topic of where does this whole issue of barriers come in? Islamic, historically, from the earliest era, from the time of the Prophet ﷺ till now, what is this whole barrier discussion? In the masjids, in madrasas, seminaries, institutions, this whole gender interaction fiasco, confusion about it, inshallah, hopefully, we will be able to address this in a very nice academic manner. Um, and I'm hoping this can be a serve as a resource for people across the world who might be confused on this. Uh, there's going to be resources actually being given to you. All of you will have access to a whole bunch of um, articles on this topic and um, various dalail and proofs. That's going to happen Saturday morning. And then Sunday morning at that time, workshop, around 11 o'clock, both of these workshops are taking place. I'm going to be speaking about a detailed workshop on addictions to obscenity, addictions to watching obscene scenes. Again, a topic that is of massive importance to our community and rarely spoken about. So I request everyone to make dua that these, these two topics and as well as the other topics that we're able to do justice to them. And that whatever we say, inshallah, is on the truth, is on the haq, is exactly what Allah and His Rasul want. May Allah save us from saying something that goes against what Allah and His Rasul want. And may Allah allow us to deliver these messages in such a beautiful manner that thousands of people can understand and accept. So I want all of you, inshallah, to, to follow along. And if you're listening from over, overseas or out of state, then at least, of course, these things are going to uh, be live-streamed. So, marid follows every rebellious shaitan. Meaning the one who is speaking about Allah without any proof, in reality, he is a murid. Look at that, marid and murid. Marid means rebellious. Murid means someone who intends and follows someone. So, who speaks like this about Allah and His commands? He is the murid of who? Shaitanim marid. He is a murid of shaitanim marid. He is the murid of a very rebellious shaitan. He is not the murid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
I ask Allah protection from falling into this category. More to follow, inshallah, uh, next week. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anna astaghfiru wa tubilaik. We don't have time for a question and answer this weekend. This week, inshallah, we'll do that next week, but let's do a dhikr for a couple of minutes. Inshallah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah 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 Muhammadur Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Sallallahu ala Muhammad 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 Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Sallallahu على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله 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 على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم استغفر الله 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 استغفر
قلوبنا بنور الإيمان واشرح صدورنا للإسلام اللهم وفقنا لما تحب وترضى من قولي والعمل والنية والهدى إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم فقهنا في الدين اللهم فقهنا في الدين اللهم فقهنا في الدين اللهم أصلح لنا ديننا الذي هو عصمة أمرنا وأصلح لنا دنيانا التي فيها معاشنا وأصلح لنا آخرتنا التي فيها معادنا وجعل الحياة زيادة لنا في كل خير وجعل الموت راحة لنا من كل شر سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين آمين